When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you went from bronze to mythic in five days. This feels like a bit of a weight loss program. How'd you do it? <laughs> In these three easy steps, you too can shed those pounds. No, uh, yeah, I, you know, in preparation for our episode today, talking about the arena bots, I drafted arena all week, got from bronze one to mythic in 30 drafts felt good. I got to say the final push was not fun. I was like having fun a little bit. And then, you know, the secret keeper life was getting me down a little bit. The Lucky Clover life was getting me down a little bit. And I was in Diamond 1 for like, I don't know, five, six, seven drafts. It was a lot. So yeah, I'm happy to have done it. It's nice to say that I did it. Uh, I I look forward to not returning to Arena for some time for the greatest format of all time. Yeah, I have not disliked it that much. I've done about 10 drafts. My current pet peeve is I have the sweetest deck on the planet. I have a Fires of Invention deck. I finally opened it, pack one, pick one, Mm -hmm. drafted around it. And I just have to pray that I don't play against Mill because there is zero chance I'm losing against anything that's not Mill. And I have one loss already to a mill deck. Well, let's dive into checking in on our records on MTGO or Arena, the trophy leaderboard, and then we'll get into uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. Yeah, sounds good. I'm at the same place on MTGO. I am 22 drafts deep, 47 and 18 overall record, seven trophies and a 72% win rate still. And in best of one on Arena, I'm 8.5 drafts deep, <laughs> 42 and 20, two trophies, 68% win rate. And I just I just want to outline my current deck that I'm playing for you so you, you folks can salivate over it at home. <laughs> my current deck has Fires of Invention, Thunderous Snapper, Unexplained Vision, just some card draw. We've got some other card draw things going on. Double Improbable Alliance as card draw payoffs and Mana Sync, and Iron Crag Pyromancer, as well as Folio of Fancies as another Mana Sync when I've got Fires of Invention out. This deck is stupid. Dang, that is ridiculous. Have you played any of the games with it yet? Oh, yeah. I'm four and one right now. I've crushed everyone except my one mill opponent, and I almost beat my one mill opponent. Oof, yeah. Uh, I did a few drafts yesterday on Magic Online, so I'm up to 74, 154, and 65 win-loss, 25 trophies. I got three trophies yesterday, which is pretty sweet, and a 70% win rate. And I also won the Oko lottery yesterday. Ooh, nice. And on Arena, 30 drafts, 137 to 78 win-loss, six trophies, 64% win rate. Very good. Yeah. All right. So we are going to be talking about the secret, parentheses, keeper, 
to the Eldraine bots. What do you think about that title, Ben? I love that title. It's good. It's juicy. I was also going to do something like with Lucky Clover because I really, that's the, my biggest pet peeve card as we're going to get to later is Lucky Clover. I think that's the most egregious thing about the arena bots. So I was going to do something like the luckiest. And anyway, uh, but before we get into our episode here where we're talking about the arena bots, we got to talk about the Lords of Limited Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can give back to the show if they so choose. We have received a real outpouring of love from our listeners uh, giving back to the show uh, via the Patreon. It's been growing quite a bit. We are looking forward to reaching our stretch goal where we will We'll have a bonus episode every month to cover some extra stuff, some extra goodies, and that'll be free of charge to patrons. So if that's something you're interested in, you can head over to the Patreon to uh, give back to the show. And all our new patrons get access to the Lords of Limited Discord. An exciting thing for this weekend is we have a lot of people playing at GP Phoenix. It was a pretty small pool, it sounded like. Hashtag is paper magic dead. Uh, it was about like four to 500 folks in the main event, which is very, very small. It sounded like top like five and three records would maybe cash, which is pretty crazy for a GP. Um, but we had a lot of people who were posting their pools after they built them. Um, so we get to like follow along and sort of like railbird some people. And we got some folks in the Discord who made day two. So congratulations to those people and uh, very exciting for you as you're battling it out while we're recording today on Sunday. Um, and we also want to make sure that we welcome each and every one of our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we're welcoming to the fold JP Kern, Richard, John, Eduardo, Beef Duck, who would know? Jay, Matt, Joris, Jared, Bertu, Palmazzo, Jamie, Clark, and Lucas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The Discord is keeping me in touch with Magic as I'm only able to draft once a night, maybe less than once a night at times. And really enjoy being able to tune into the discord see what's going on make sure i'm up to date and when i do hop into draft make sure i've got the most up-to-date information to crush it i know that it sounds each and every week like we're overhyping the discord but believe me it is worth the hype we are we are not overselling this discord it is gas i yeah i'm really proud of the discord it's just an awesome community just really good discussion really kind people we have different skill levels and experienced players are very willing to help newer players it's just a very good place agreed Lords of Limited is now also partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. And as part of that, we've got a gift code for you to get 10% off your order on their website, coalesceapparel.shop, which pertains to any apparel on their website, not just our Lords of Limited merchandise. And that code is LOL, all caps. You can head on over there, pick up your hashtag I'm with Ben or your hashtag I'm with Ethan Lords of Limited t-shirt today. I was sporting mine yesterday. So good. So comfy. Love it. They are very comfortable. All right. Moving in to the secret keeper to the Eldraine bots. I wanted to sort of like start by outlining what I think you and I have experienced as the best decks in the format, because I think you and I are very much of the opinion that if you're drafting on Arena, you should be looking to figure out what the exploitations are via the bots to be able to get the best decks possible in the most consistent fashion. And I don't think it's about like forcing one kind of deck, but I do think there is a handful of decks that are at the top of the heap and you should probably be navigating your way into one of those based on what the draft is like. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I sort of approach it as like maybe a palette of five or six decks that I'm trying to get into and then each given draft figuring out which version of the bots I'm with that's pushing me towards one of those given five or six decks. Right. I think normally that doesn't feel as bad because like normally you're like, well, I would be looking to get into, you know, one of six decks in a normal paper draft, but on arena, it's really one of three decks. But here, because 
I really do feel still that every color pair is viable and every monocolor deck is viable. And then maybe even some like splashing if you get the green or golden egg fixing. Um, but there's such a wide range with this format because it's so good and so balanced that shrinking that down to these four decks on Arena felt particularly bad. It just doesn't feel like Arena is doing this format justice at all to me. Yeah, I mean, I have enjoyed this format on Arena more than I have other formats, I think, just because I do feel like there's, because there's so many options on MTGO, I feel like you still have even a few more options on Arena than you would in a normal Arena format. I, I don't know. I've felt okay about it. I've felt like I'm reading signals for the first four or five picks and then locking in around pick six, pick seven. Yeah, I, I, I think that's mostly true. I mean, I feel very comfortable drafting the format on Arena for sure. And the kinds of decks that I can end up in, save for the mill deck, I have fun piloting, but I, I just do think that it sort of is narrower than on magic online so oh absolutely we we should just probably you know name the elephant in the room here or the elephants in the room of the the decks that we're pretty excited about and so for for me i have at the top of the heap blue based mill decks i think this is usually blue black but it can be blue white or even blue green because edgewall innkeeper plus merfolk secret keeper is a nice like little card advantage engine to go through your deck as you're milling your opponents Yeah, I found these decks very annoying to play against, mostly because when I play against them on Magic Online, I know my opponent did some work to draft that deck, right? Like they read that the deck was open. And on Arena, I'm just like, really? Because it just doesn't feel like the person had to try as hard to get that deck on Arena. So I'm, I'm usually a little tilted when I'm playing against Mill on Arena, mostly because I know it just wasn't that hard to draft, but the deck is so powerful. It's also very boring to play against like there it's very rare that the games are interesting like you either have a deck that's like a good matchup for it like a white aggressive deck where you can probably just mow them over or you don't and you just play the whole match being like well maybe they don't draw like another secret keeper or a runaway together or a lucky clover and maybe i can beat them or something but like you feel like you can't concede but it doesn't feel like a good game of magic to play I will say I've played it once and I 7-0'd very easily. The combination of Seeker Keepers, Didn't Say Please, Witching Well, So Tiny, and Runaway Together is just absurd. And So so Tiny goes so late on MTGA. Three of my 7x wins were with blue-based mill decks. And I mean, just because sometimes it's going to smack you over the face how open it is on Arena and you just should be drafting that if you're trying to win or if you're trying to ladder up. Now, I will say... At the start of the week, you know, I had a lot of people coming into my Twitch chat throughout the week, noticing that I was playing Arena for the first time in a long time because I was prepping for this episode and tons of people throwing out like wild percentages. You know, I'd been following Twitter a lot, like a lot of people complaining about the abundance of this mill deck. And my experience through the first few days of the week, I was like, I'm not really playing against it that much. And I've drafted it a few times, like, you know, my, maybe three of my first dozen or so drafts were a mill deck but i was like i don't think it's like really that big of a deal and i i'm gonna start tracking it so i started tracking every time i played against it and every and also my like win loss record against it and it was showing up about 18 percent of the time for me which is a high percentage but no one was like man i'm playing against mill so much like 18 percent of the time you know uh, people were throwing out like 50 percent, 60 percent but 
that seems pretty reasonable if you think about what we're outlining here, which is that there are about four or five decks that I want to consistently get into. So if that's one of them, that makes sense that it's about 20%. So I don't think it's that big of a portion of the metagame. I just think it feels really bad to play against most of the time. Yep, I hear that. So what's next past blue-based mill decks? Green-white adventures we've got as number two on the power rankings here, mostly because Edgewall Innkeeper and Lucky Clover, two of the biggest payoffs for adventuring are horrifically undervalued by the bots you could add mysterious pathlighter to that list as well that's the two and a white two two flyer that gives adventure creatures a plus one plus one counter when they etb all that stuff being undervalued just makes every creature with adventure regardless of power level go up a bit and then cards that are good like fairy guide mother with adventure are just ridiculous ridiculous in this green white adventures deck past that we've got green black food at number three and i think sometimes this deck can lean into i was drafting with you on your stream the other night and we sort of were trying to toe the line between food deck and adventure payoff deck i was trying to push us into the adventure payoff portion of it and then i think we didn't quite get there but because innkeeper and clover are so underrated by the bots you can steer towards green black adventure payoffs you get the reaper of night you get uh Falmire night you get order of midnight all the knights really as good two for ones in themselves and then also good in conjunction with clover and innkeeper but you can also get really good food payoffs late um, you get the tempting witch pretty late you can maybe get the cat oven combination um, you can get a really good grindy deck that like survives a lot of the aggro decks and can go toe to toe with some of the control decks unless you're getting milled out. Number four on the list, we've got white X aggro. I think this might even be better than green black food. Honestly, now that I'm looking at this, yeah, white aggro feels very open on arena right now. Ardenvale tactician is going way too late. The bots, I think have it as the number two common behind trapped in a tower, which is just wrong. Very and wrong. then you can, you can wheel cards like fairy guide mother and flutter Fox that are just absolute mainstays of a white aggressive deck. Yeah. And then sort of piggybacking off of White X Aggro, uh, number five, I've got an honorable mention. I don't know if you've had the pleasure of playing with or against this deck yet. I'm naming it Ginger Brute Cheese, but this is basically like a hyper aggro deck uh, that takes advantage of Ginger Brute and all the glitters and a number of other very cheap, efficient, aggressive cards and like ways to augment those cards. I've played against it. I have not drafted it myself yet. Yeah. So we'll talk about outlining all of these decks in just a little bit and sort of like what makes them powerful in terms of the consistency that you'll see good cards go late on Arena. And now we should also mention that we're recording on October 27th. There was a bot update on Thursday, the 24th. Uh, I played a handful of drafts after that, maybe, you know, close to 10. Um, and I didn't really notice any big differences. Uh, you said you've seemed to notice a, a slight dip in card quality for the, the cards you're seeing in your deck. Yeah, I played the majority of my drafts after that update, and it felt like packs were drying up a little quicker than normal. The cards that were undervalued would still randomly come around late, like I'd randomly get an Adventurous Innkeeper super late, or I'd get a random Tactician super late, or an Eighth Pick Revenge of Ravens still happening. Mm -hmm. But by and large, the packs felt drier. And maybe I just had some weak weak packs. Maybe I just had some underpowered drafts, but it didn't feel drastically different. All the, all the information you've outlined in the show notes, I agree with still based on my experience with seven or eight drafts past Thursday. Cool. So before we outline all these decks, we've got some data from 17lands.com that we wanted to review. Yeah. One of the people in our Discord, Viral Misnomer, has made a website, 17lands.com, and it feels like a large percentage of people are using it. We have some significant data here, like we're in the thousands of games played and things like that as far as getting getting sample sizes and getting data. And I think there's, first of all, just a lot of really interesting data about individual card quality that's a little too cumbersome to go into. But if you're interested, check out 17lands.com and 
you know, go dive into those cards. It's sorted by win percentage and you can see what cards are winning the most. And I would, I would be careful to find the ones that have significant sample sizes, but it's interesting to take a look at. And then I think the deck, you know, win rates lines up with what we're saying the best decks are here. So if we take a look in competitive draft, mono white has the highest win percentage at 60.9% out of all the mono colored decks and not quite the most played. The most played is mono blue. And I think that's probably due to mill which has a 57.8 win percentage, but those two standing atop the monocolored deck rankings and also standing atop the monocolor plus a splash. Um, and you're getting into, again, significant sample sizes with mono blue plus a splash. So you're talking almost 700 plus games played yeah, um, at a 55.7 win rate for mono blue plus a splash. And you're, you've got to be assuming that that's a mill deck. Right. And then in the two color pairs by far the most played decks that have a significant win percentage are blue black demir and black green golgari and selesnia probably coming in at the third most played deck in two color pairs so all of that stuff sort of backing up what we're saying the best decks are here and and despite those having the highest sample sizes they also have the highest win rates right and that's i sort of forgive me i'm going to branch in a constructed territory here but when a deck is the most played deck and still has a very significant win percentage, that's a huge vote in its favor, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, just a quick dip into 17 lands there. And again, we're not, we're not sponsored by 17 lands or anything. I just think it's a great tool to go check out arena data. It makes tracking our drafts and decks and win losses so easy. Like it just does it for you, which is pretty awesome. Yep. Would highly encourage you if you're playing on arena to go check out 17lands.com. All right. So we're going to look at these five or 4.5 decks in particular that we're excited to draft. And then maybe put that in the context of arena in general, or like a overarching view of drafting on arena for this format. And I think you're in line with this as well, but I'm generally looking to draft the hard way on arena in this format. And that's kind of different than what I felt like doing before. What, what's your experience been? Yeah, that's sort of how I'm approaching it, but drafting the hard way in that I'm only looking in to get into one of these five decks or maybe like two others. I've, I've drafted white black a fair amount of times usually, oh, but that probably that falls under the white X aggro umbrella, I think. Mm, okay. So yeah, just drafting the hard way, but a, a narrower range of decks that I'm willing to draft the hard way to get into. Right. So we'll certainly take into account what we believe to be or not be a signal from the bots or cards that we feel like generally will or will not wheel into account when we're picking things. But by and large, I'm not super mad about, you know, having my first few picks be in different colors or different archetypes because I feel fairly confident that I will settle into one of those as the draft progresses and I'd like to give myself outs to do so. First up here, I want to talk about colorless cards. This is something that I think you and I have latched onto quite a bit in this format in terms of, you know, valuing them as picks to take early because they allow you to hashtag delay the decision of what deck you're going to end up in. They allow you to maybe end up in a monocolor or near monocolor deck, which we're very excited to be in, though I will say that I haven't drafted a lot of monocolor decks on Arena. There's, there's just no incentive, right? Because you don't get paid off because the color is not going to be consistently open because you're drafting with bots. Exactly. Like, And I, I will recommend to anyone to listen to the Pro Points podcast. It's one of my favorite features of magic content every week. Um, but they talked about the arena bots for about you know 15 or 20 minutes on the last episode. And one of the points that Mike Sigris made was he was like, yeah, but even if you like end up in a monocolor deck, you're not going to get those hybrid color cards as payoffs like you would in an MTGO or paper draft because the bots are just going to be taking them at some point in that pick order, picks one through eight. Yep. Feels bad, man. Yeah. So Colorless cards, I think, at the moment are egregiously underrated by the bots, and chief among them is Lucky Clover, which has no business going eighth pick in any draft. And I think this is what makes the adventure deck 
either green, white or green, black, but green, white, mostly and secret keepers, the best decks in the format. I think secret keeper plus lucky clover is like too easy to assemble when you get to sit with those bots. And that feels really tough to beat. Yeah. I think the secret keeper deck would be oppressive even without lucky clover. It just feels extra bad when they have the lucky clover Mm -hmm. and adventures does feel like it ticks because of how late lucky clover goes when you lucky clover fairy guide mother for the first time it feels incredible you just push like eight damage ten damage out of nowhere and beyond that golden egg scalding cauldron uh, sorcerer's broom witch's oven all go stupid late and even sometimes wheel like when i see eggs and cauldrons wheel it's just wild to me yeah i mean those cards are very strong i do think cauldron and egg have to go down in your pick order yes. just because the bots don't take them and the second copy of cauldron is significantly worse than the first copy yes and whereas in normal drafting of this format egg is like feels like a really good early pick because i feel like it slots into a lot of different decks here it's not that great like i don't particularly want it in my blue black mill deck i don't particularly want it in my green white adventures deck i definitely really don't want it in my white x aggro decks so you're really only excited about egg in the green black food deck a lot of the time and there you usually have other things that are making food so egg just like doesn't feel like nearly as important as it does in magic online drafts well and it's got a great home in blue red but blue red is not great on arena but first of all because red is a little difficult to get into for whatever reason i I felt that as well and i think you came to that same conclusion independent of me Mm -hmm. and then the other thing is that with mill being prevalent and i think fairly prevalent on arena much more so than on mtgo the blue red card draw deck just feels a little bad I'm, i'm i have the nuts blue red card draw deck right now and i'm just hoping to not get paired against mill Yeah, not only is it terrifying against Mill, but it's also terrifying against Revenge of Ravens because so often you're hoping to win the game with 1-1 fairies. And so like with the prevalence of that, with being able to say like, yeah, you can get Revenge of Ravens like fourth, fifth, sixth pick. Well, that's going to be tough work for the blue-red deck to to combat. Yeah, there's a lot of things working against that deck on Arena. Yeah, so we've got this little lower down in the show notes, but I think it's, we might as well talk about it now about why I think red is not exploitable on arena. At least that's been my experience. And I have to keep reminding myself that even though I feel like, well, I did like 30 drafts in one week and I went from bronze to mythic, it's still a small sample size. So just throwing that out there. But I was not a base red deck once in 30 drafts in best of one on arena, whereas it's nearly my most played color on magic online like i'm not i don't have a bias against red i love drafting red decks but i just don't see things like i don't see exploitable things to do with red on arena like you're not wheeling rimrock knights consistently you're not wheeling merchant of the veils consistently i don't even see like scorching dragon fires or searing barrages very late though sometimes people have told me that they see dragon fires very late i did see one like seventh pick the other day um, one of my final drafts but by and large it just didn't feel like a card that i was able to really like optimize against the bots because it felt like they were correctly picking those cards. Right. Well, and if you think about the color pairs red goes with, blue red is probably red's best color pair, which I've drafted twice on Arena. One time my deck was terrible. This time my deck is very good. Mm -hmm. But then red white, you're more like white because the white cards are really undervalued, probably with some red cards. So it doesn't feel like you're really drafting red as a main color. Red green is kind of eh, monsters. And even then you're probably still base green because the base green cards are so much better against cards like Morfolk Secret Keeper because Garenbrick Paladin, the, the four and a green four, four, that if you add them in, it turns into a five, five and can't be blocked by creatures power two or less. That card is a house against Secret Keeper. Yeah. And is a huge incentive to be base green, even when you're green red. And then red black doesn't really have a super strong identity. It's just sort of red black knights and you can just, there's just better aggro decks. The white aggro decks are just better 
on Arena. Which brings us to why aggro cards consistently wheeling. I mean, beyond Trapped in the Tower, which I think the bots are appropriately taking, but not appropriate in the sense that they have it as the best white common. But you can see Ardenville Tactician, sixth pick or later. Guidemother and Flutterfox wheel a ton. And then we're not even dipping into like cards that you're totally happy with, like Silverflame Squire or Lonesome Unicorn as well. And those are more adventures. And you can just get those ninth 10th 11th pick and those are all like good cards in the white green adventures deck and in your white x aggro decks yeah and i think you know we've touched on it but speaking of the adventure cards edgewall innkeeper the single green one two that draws you a card and you cast an adventure creature moonlit pathfinder the two two that gives them a plus one plus one counter and wandermare although wandermare is not as important as those other two but wandermare is the one in a green three three that gives a plus one plus one counter whenever you cast an adventure card those are all late pickups on arena yeah so I feel like white is very exploitable. I feel like green to an extent is exploitable because of the adventures payoffs and also this like aggro cheesy deck that you can also get sometimes black. I don't find super exploitable, you know, bacon to a pie is not going super late. Reeve soul sometimes goes kind of late. Like you can get those sixth or seventh has been my experience beyond that. I don't feel like there's anything egregious happening with black, but it does feel like just because black has a deep roster of commons, it's hard for the bots to like take them all. And so if you're in black, you're usually going to end up with a good base of common creatures and, and spells. That's what I think. Black in this format sort of feels like white was in M19. Like there was just so many good white cards that the bots could not take them all. And there's so many good black commons and uncommons that the bots just can't snatch them all up. I thought you said M20 for a second. I was like, so many good white cards? But no, M19. No, I know, I know, I know. The, yeah, with the three the, musketeers. Uh, the three musketeers, exactly. All right, well, let's talk about it. Let's get this out of the way. We got to talk about the Blue Mill deck, Merfolk Secret Keeper. What's going on here? Yeah, I think that card, for the most part, is ignored by the bots. There's drafts where Merfolk Secret Keeper doesn't wheel. And when that happens, you don't draft that deck. But a lot of times, in the first pack, if you see you know two Secret Keepers and you let them pass you by and you see a third one and the other two wheel, you're just in on that deck. For me, that's how I got in that deck, and that's how I've seen you get in that deck as well. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, so I don't think the deck is forcible. That is not what I would recommend people do at all. I wouldn't recommend people force any deck, really. As we said, we want to encourage folks to quote-unquote draft the hard way on Arena for the most part, just with these few decks in mind. If the deck is open, if blue base mill is open for your seat, you will know and you will move in. And I think it's just how you outlined it with like, you see a couple Secret Keepers in pack one, you Maybe you make some picks hedging towards that in mind, but I don't want to take Secret Keeper third or fourth. I want to be wheeling it, like getting it 10th or 11th, that sort of thing. Um, I wouldn't go into the draft environment trying to make preference picks towards this deck. I think Lucky Clover really makes the deck tick as well as like, you know, you can get three, four plus Merfolk. You pair it with So Tiny as cheap removal that the Merfolk has helped turning on. And I will say, I think... So tiny, I'm not generally impressed with it as a minus two, minus O, at least not in multiples. But when you are consistently getting it to be a one mana minus six, minus O, that's really big game and really good for these control decks. Merfolk plus Runaway together. It didn't say please. All these cards work well together and they all go late. Like probably among those four cards, if you're drafting the deck with bots who are undervaluing these cards, Runaway together is probably the highest rated card among those four. And that still goes super late and wheels. Right. And so tiny goes egregiously late. I've seen last pick so tinies and we've got that as what the second best blue common. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, card draw to keep the action flowing and removal slash forever young from black. You should probably have a seven X win deck on your hands. Like 
you get the goods late, you get the blue card draw to make sure you consistently find your mill pieces. And I think the reason it's paired with black so often is because black's efficient removal slash its food production to help you maybe gain some life to stem some bleeding, help you close out the game. And this Merfolk Secret Keeper deck is a lot more difficult to get into on Magic Online. So I don't think you and I had tons of experience with it. I had no experience with it prior to drafting it on Arena. The piece I missed out on in my seven win deck, and I, I, I missed out on a piece and I still got seven wins, was the card draw. I think that's really important to mm-hmm. make sure that you hit your secret keepers. I was having to do some pretty creative blocking <laughs> and figuring of math of cards to try to get my opponent down to zero cards. And I did it every time, but it was dicey. My life would have been a lot better if I had two witching wells and, you know, a draw three. Yeah, I agree completely. So, I mean, I think this deck is very, very good. It's really consistent to come together when it's uh, appropriate for you to draft it. So I would be on the lookout for, you know, seeing those secret keepers early in pack one, seeing if they wheel. And then if they don't wheel, don't draft that deck. And sometimes you'll see them not wheel. And then in pack two, they do like, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And that's frustrating in another sense. But I do think that it will be apparent when you should draft this deck and you'll probably get a good version of it when that happens. And then as far as how to play against this deck, I think the the deck that's got the best matchup against it is White Axe Aggro or the Adventure deck. Right. So you've got busted cards like Edgewall Innkeeper, which Ben S has as the best uncommon going seventh, eighth pick. And then you can just push so much damage over the top of them with Fairy Guide Mothers or push through them with cards like the Silver Flame Squire that you can pay two and a white to give plus two plus two. And then if you've got a Clover, all of a sudden you're pushing two two creatures through Merfolk Secret Keepers. Yeah, it's just so hard to play against these kinds of tricks because they're all two for ones. Now, I do feel like part of the fun I have of this format, and I would disagree with some people who think this is bad, like people say like blocking is bad. I think the puzzles of this format are really fun to be like, okay, so you have Silver Flame Squire here. That's what you're representing. So how do I try and blow that out maybe next turn or like attack into it to force you to like use it as a blocker instead of using it on attacks or whatever. Um, But these cards are oppressive and you can get so many copies of them and you pair it with Lucky Clover. Like if you have not put four plus one plus one counters on a fairy guide mother with a twin veil tree folk and a lucky clover in play. You haven't lived yet. My goodness. Build your own five, five flyer. Yes, please. I haven't done that yet. That sounds nice. Oh, it's so good. You want to play around cards like didn't say please and run away together whenever possible and try to minimize the impact of those cards. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think you're just supposed to assume that your opponent has those cards. If they're a blue-based mill deck and they're holding up mana, now if they've got a Witching Well, you can't really afford to play around them. But if they don't have the Witching Well on the battlefield, I think you're not supposed to just jam into places where you get blown out by didn't say please and run away together. You should just assume your opponent has it. I won a game the other day where I just didn't cast spells for the last seven turns of the game because my library was getting low and my out was hoping my opponent didn't have another Merfolk Secret Keeper and they didn't. And I won because I didn't play into didn't say please. Yeah, one of my favorite play patterns against blue decks is when they pass with three mana up and have a Witching Well in play. I go, okay, I'm going to light your turn on fire here, assuming you have one of these two cards. And then next turn, you can't afford to do it because you know that they have four mana to pump into the Switching Well if you choose to not cast anything. But then you have make them make the decision of, do I want to counter this thing or draw two cards? And you sort of force them to decide between two things rather than letting them get the value on turn three and turn four. Yeah, and I think one of the last things is, I mentioned it earlier, Gear and Brick Paladin is very, very good against these blue decks because Secret Keeper can't block it. It just is very depressing when you are the blue player and there are giant green unblockable monsters on the other side of the battlefield. 
Yeah. So looking at the other white aggro deck that is very well positioned against these merfolk mill decks is I think just white X aggro. And sometimes this is mono white or, you know, you know, whatever you're touching red or black or even green sometimes without huge adventure payoffs. Um, but whether you're on MTGO or arena, you can be sure people are undervaluing white. My first two drafts back to MTGO after hitting mythic on arena this week were mono white. And I went two, one and then three Oh, like it, it just is wild to me how underrated a lot of these good cards are. Um, data from 17 lands.com. Uh, suggests that the bots are taking Trapped in the tower over Ardenvale Tactician, which we have as very wrong. Um, I was mono white four times in my 30 drafts on Arena and base white, uh, I think, like four or five other times. When you can get cards as good as Flutterfox and Fairy Guidemother, ninth pick or later, the deck is just so often the correct deck to draft. And being able to backdoor into Adventures of the Late Innkeeper or Clover is another big plus for this archetype. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. I have not drafted mono white deck. I've drafted white green a couple times and it felt very good. Ardenvale Tactician is just the truth. That card is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it really just lets your white decks do everything they want to do. You want a threat on turn three? Great. You want to take out some threats on turn five and play another threat? Great. You want to be able to double spell in a different way with Dizzying Swoop? Like, it's just so flexible. I think another nice hidden boost to white decks or base white decks is that True Love's Kiss is really good in best of one because being able to main deck artifact or enchantment destruction that cantrips feels really strong because normally in best of one you're just you just can't run those type of cards and i think true love's kiss is totally 100 main deckable and it's really nice to have a card like that to be able to blow up you know revenge of ravens or improbable alliance or trail of crumbs there are a lot of good artifacts and lucky clover there's good yeah. artifacts and enchantments that are underrated by the bots that people are going to have in their decks yeah i would really highly recommend if you're drafting a white based aggro deck or mono white deck to include a copy of true love's kiss in your main deck because you often will have a hard time pushing through Revenge of Raven, so it just feels good to make sure you have a silver bullet for that card. Next up, we've got Golgari Food, and sometimes this isn't always food. Sometimes it's Golgari Adventure, and Golgari Adventure is very strong as well, um, taking advantage of the Innkeeper Clover, you know, and again, we keep beating this to death, but <laughs> it's true. It's there. It's happening, um, and you can be a value adventure deck with cards like Reaper of Night, Foulmire Night, Order of Midnight, you know, you name it. Or you can be a super grindy food deck and have things like Golden Egg, Tempting Witch, Trail of Crumbs, I've seen go pretty late. And these all are cards that go super well together. And you get to take advantage of other cards that go late, like Broom, like Oven plus Cauldron Familiar. Curious Pair goes late, and that's just like a nice blocker if you're facing opposing aggro decks, and it makes a food along the way, lets you make two food. If you've got a Lucky Clover, draws you a card. If you've got an Innkeeper, like there's just a lot of nice little synergies here. I feel like we got to talk about Sorcerer's Broom, Ben. I agree. This car's getting a lot of hate. This car's getting a lot of hate. I think people think we're crazy because we like it so much. Can we, we got to expand upon why the Sorcerer's Broom is so good. Maybe we'll get some Fantasia music in the background here. <laughs> I played it on my stream the other day when I drafted it. <laughs> nice. First of all, I think just it's back to Arena for two seconds. Broom, Oven, and Cauldron Familiar all being undervalued by the bots, I think is another reason the Golgari food is good on Arena because that trifecta when it comes together is very powerful and it's going to come together more on Arena than it does on MTGO. Yes, you can often see them together. I don't know if there are uncommon print run data anymore, but it does feel like I see those artifacts together a lot. I see Broom and Oven in the same pack quite a, quite a lot. So back to Broom. Broom's got a bad rap, and I, I just want to defend Broom here for a little bit. Yes. So at its floor, a 2-mana two 2-1 two is totally playable in this format. Now, it would be like a D 
plus D, yeah, maybe. D plus. But it, it's essentially a two mana two two. Two mana two one is essentially equivalent to a two mana two two in this format because there's not tons of ways to punish X ones. Right. And then at its ceiling, Broom is capable of winning you the game single handedly. That's very powerful in a two drop that its floor is a two mana two two in your deck, essentially, even though it's a two mana two one. Now, does Broom go off in every deck? No. For Broom to win you the game, it's probably got to end up... In, bl- in black-green, right? In black-green or a base green deck. I've had a self-contained... Green's got the self-contained pieces. You know, if you get Trail of Crumbs, green has enough food payoffs that I think you can get there. Broom is a green card, in my mind, when it's really great. Okay. But there's there's value other places, too. In your blue-red deck, you have, you know, whatever, two golden eggs, and you have a scalding cauldron. That's enough to make Broom into a C. Maybe even a, once you make the second copy of Broom, you're happy. And then your opponent has to wonder how many other ways you have to trigger Broom and whether or not it's going to lose them the game. They have to make a decision about whether or not to spend a removal spell on it. It can get out of control, and it's especially dangerous of threatening that in a green deck. I think all of that in a colorless two drop makes it a high pick. Now, is Broom always going to be great? Is it always going to be worth the high pick you spin it on? No, but the potential that it has makes it worthy of taking highly early and seeing where the draft goes. Right. And is it going to make your deck 100% of the time? No, not necessarily. If you have like a really good white based aggro deck or like red black knights deck or whatever, maybe you cut it and you don't play it and that's fine. But the value of it added, and I will, you know, put a, a caution here that I think it's less good on arena because you don't need to value those like delay the decision artifacts as highly because the bots aren't valuing them highly. So you can get them super late, but on MTGO or paper, this is a high pick in pack one because it's so flexible and has such a high floor as we talked about as like, it's just like a colorless two mana two, two essentially. And then the ceiling of wins you the game is your like decks payoff engine, whatever, like, that's an incredible thing to get from a colorless two drop. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Okay. All right. So let the hate mail flow some more for Sorcerer's Broom, but we are definitely, definitely in on that card. The last deck that we're going to talk about here is Gingerbrut Cheese, as we're, we're going to name it here. Someone was like, you should call it a charcuterie board, which I like a little bit. Um, so this is... I, what, did you just make up words? Charcuterie is uh, like... Never mind. We'll talk about it later. Um <laughs> I did not make up that word. This is usually base white or green or a combination. Um, but this deck is just trying to hyper aggro out your opponent. And unfortunately, it might just be good. But I would say strictly for best of one, probably not best of three, because your opponent should be able to like, you know, maneuver some things around to be able to mess with this. Uh, but cards that are good in this archetype that go super late, you're looking at like the efficient, aggressive one drops, ginger brute, fairy guide mother, wildwood tracker and then you've got ways to beef those up in rose thorn halberd all that glitters insatiable appetite is pretty great in this deck in conjunction with ginger brute because that like once that maybe isn't getting you through you can then just sacrifice it to give something else plus five plus five flutter fox goes late and is good here so you've just got all these like cheap threats most of them are evasive in some way or another and then cheap ways to augment them um i think all the glitters is probably like the biggest glue here as it can sometimes just come down as like a plus four plus four plus five plus five and it demands an answer and sometimes you get two for one and you lose but sometimes your opponent doesn't have 
the removal right away, or it gets out of range of a lot of removal, like Reeve Soul or Scorching Dragonfire now can't kill things that are four fours or five fives. Um, this deck can, you know, run away with the game pretty quickly. So my question would be for Arena, how do you get into this deck? So I think the way to get into this deck is to notice that a lot of these pieces are wheeling in pack one. Uh, one of the times that I drafted this deck, I got like a Flutter Fox eighth, and then I'm getting Gingerbrute ninth, and then All That Glitters tenth, and seeing those sorts of things, and then basing the next two packs on that, like being like, all right, so what do I take out of this pack? And then is there another piece that's almost likely going to wheel? Is there a Guide Mother here and All That Glitters, a Gingerbrute, a Flutter Fox, and try and like draft it that way? But I think it's noticing something at the end of pack one that's going to get you in there. And so not something that you go in and force, because this looks like the type of deck that you would force to me on Arena. I think not. I think you could maybe start by being like, okay, I'm noticing that I see and all the glitters in my first pack. So is there something else that goes in this deck where I could take that here and then guarantee or near guarantee to wheel it? I think that's the way you might want to force it. But again, I'm not interested in forcing any of these four or five decks. I just want to draft the one that's going to give me the most busted things. And I think what we're looking at doing in all of these decks All these decks are trying to take advantage of good cards going late. That's the exploit. When you can reliably get Merfolk Secret Keepers on the wheel, when you can reliably get adventure payoffs like Innkeeper and Clover, 7th or 8th pick, when you can reliably get white aggro cards post 9, 10, 11th pick, like when that's happening, those are the decks you want to get get into. It's just not that every single one of those is going to be open. So again, I wouldn't say you want to force it, but I want you to be aware that this is a a pretty good deck and should be in your arsenal. Absolutely. So what do you say we put all of these tips and tricks into practice with a couple of roundtables? Let's do it. All right. So we'll take a look at one of mine here first. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Started sort of going through these roundtables a couple weeks ago, looking at like the top commons, if any of those existed. And there aren't really any of those at common here. Uh, we've got like a brimstone trebuchet and a tome raider, but the commons are by and large not exciting. Looking at the uncommons, there's a wander mare. That's the one green, white, three, three adventure payoff gets a plus one, plus one counter. Uh, Mad ratter, three and a red for a one, two. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create two, one, one black rat creature tokens. Bognati is a card that has gone up in my estimation on Arena because I think it's uh, good in the food decks that can come together there. So that's the three black, black, three, three flyer. You can pay two in a black sack of food to give target creature minus three, minus three until end of turn. And I'm curious your thoughts on the rare here. Return of the Wild Speaker, four and a green for an instant. Choose one. Draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-human creatures you control or non-human creatures you control get plus three, plus three until end of turn. I don't love it. I have not played with or against it yet, so I don't have much experience experience with it but just in the abstract in theory i know that's your favorite (laughs) it's my favorite yeah in theory i think it's just too narrow certainly to pack one pick one you don't want a card up it's not powerful enough to warrant you drafting non-humans now if i'm in a deck that's got a lot of non-humans if i'm in white green beat town and i've got some non-human sub themes running around yeah, am I going to snatch up Return of the Wild Speaker? Definitely, but not in pack one, pick one consideration for me here. That's my problem with it is that it's not really just a green card. It feels like it's basically green, red, or green, blue, and green, blue is not a deck that I get into very often. I don't think it's going to be good enough in green, white, or green, black because of the abundance of humans you're probably going to have. Yeah, it's very narrow. It's deceptively narrow. So I ruled out Return of the Wild Speaker, and then between the three uncommons, like Wandermare is a card that I like just fine, I guess. It's it's definitely the fourth, a distant fourth of the 
four uncommon payoffs for adventures. And so it's not something I really think I need to first pick. Like if I end up in adventures, I'll be fine to take it or not. And so then it's between Mad Ratter and Bog Naughty. And I took Mad Ratter here, but I'm not excited about trying to draft this blue-red draw two deck. I don't even know if I'm supposed to take Mad Ratter here. It is a bit of a feel bad. I think I would be on Mad Ratter here because I think it's the best card in the pack, but I would be very willing to move off of it on Arena. I'm also not as high on Bog Naughty as you are. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I've had just a few times or a few decks on Arena this week where I've been very impressed by Bognati because of the amount of food you can get. But yeah, I, I, I don't begrudge you your opinion on that card. So with a Mad Ratter in our pack, we move on to pack one, pick two. There's a Reeve Soul, the one in a black removal spell, destroy target creature with power three or less. There's a didn't say please if you wanted to be getting into the mill life. And then, and then at uncommon, we've got turn into a pumpkin, three and a blue, bounce a non-land permanent draw card. Uh, if you pay the adamant, you make a food token. Thunderous Snapper, the Simic hybrid, four, four, for four, whenever you cast a spell with CMC five or greater draw card. And Mysterious Pathlighter, two and a white for two, two with flying. Each creature you control that has an adventure enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Yeah, looking at this, I'm immediately ruling out all of the commons. I'm between Pathlighter and Turn Into a Pumpkin. And I think I think Turn Into a Pumpkin is just the best card in the pack, and I think it matches up very well with Mad Ratter. So I would actually be on Turn Into a Pumpkin here. So I think that's totally reasonable on MTGO. But on Arena, Pathlighter feels like a card that I'm like, all right, here's my my feelers are up. Is this the deck that I could get into here? This is one of the, the four decks that we're happy with. Or this is really could go into two of the four decks that we're happy with. Or maybe even three of them if we count the cheese deck. But I think this is probably not good for the gingerbread cheese deck. Um, but in a white-based aggro or white-green adventures, I think Pathlighter is just gas. So that's what I landed on there. But I, I could see turn into a pumpkin. Pumpkin is also very, very good in the mill deck. Right, because you bounce your own secret keeper. Yeah. So you would grab the turn into a pumpkin. I took the Pathlighter here. Pack one, pick three. Looking at the commons, I think probably the only one in consideration here is Merfolk Secret Keeper. Um, but do you really want to take that third, Ben? What do you think? I mean, after having turned into a pumpkin in my deck, if I were on my route through the draft, I would take Merfolk Secret Keeper here, yeah. But doesn't that feel bad? Don't you want to take this pick 10 or whatever? I mean, I guess on Arena, but on MTGO, I'd be thrilled third picking a Merfolk Secret Keeper. Sure, but we're trying to beat those bots. Yeah, the rest of this pack, I think, is just unexciting to me here. So, I mean, really, the only other card that stands out to me is Witch's Oven. None of the other commons are remotely interesting. And then there's a Surferon, the double green 2-2. Whenever he attacks, target attacking creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is Surferon's power. I mean, that's super far away from wherever either of us are. So it's pretty much between Witch's Oven and Secret Keeper and Witch's Ovens go late on Arena as well. So we're trying to decide between two cards that go late here. Yeah, I guess it's go late versus like consistently wheel. I don't I feel like Witch's Oven can go seventh or eighth pick. I don't know if it wheels a ton, whereas like I know that Secret Keepers do or can. I don't know. Maybe I'm leaning too hard into the exploitation life but I grabbed the Witch's Oven as another like, okay, this is a good engine card in the food deck. And now I could start my draft with one of three options, though it f- feels like Mad Ratter is a distant third, but I've got the Pathlighter or the Witch's Oven as like good payoff cards or like build around cards for good archetypes. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me. And then I just going one pick further here, because I think this is a super interesting one. We've got uh, pack one, pick four. There's another Secret Keeper here. We've got a Lonesome Unicorn and a Fairy Guide Mother as white adventure cards that go super late. 
And then at Uncommon, we've got an Emberth Shield Breaker, the one on a red 2-1 Human Knight, and it has Battle Display as an adventure for a single red destroying artifact. And there's another Mad Ratter. Ooh. Yeah, this is an interesting pick with either of our routes through the draft. Mm-hmm. I think the second Mad Ratter feels very tempting here, but it also feels kind of bad. Because the blue-red card draw deck, I think, doesn't come together as often on Arena. And when it does, there's so many ways to stop it with Revenge of Ravens floating around late and the middle deck floating around. But I I don't know. With my route through the draft, I think I've got a better setup than you do to go mill right now mm-hmm. with turning into a Pumpkin and Secret Keeper already in my pile. And I still don't think I'm taking a second Secret Keeper here over Mad Ratter. I think I'm begrudgingly taking a second Mad Ratter, but I'm not thrilled about it which is a weird place to be because on mtgo i would be like boom yes second mad ratter get in here let's do it right you'd windmill slam it you see this like thrill of possibility in the pack as well and fingers crossed you can wheel it but on arena i'm just like i don't really want to draft this deck so i begrudgingly took it but i tanked for a long time because i was looking at cards that i'm happy with like i've got mysterious pathlighter i would be happy with fairy guide mother or lonesome unicorn with them. And on MTGO, you know, if, if Mad Ratter's not in the conversation here, which on MTGO, I would windmill slam Mad Ratter. But if it's not in the conversation, then either of those cards are cards that I'm not mad about taking here to go with the Pathlighter. Might even be nice to like take one, try and wheel the other. But both of those are cards that I know are going to go super late. So if I'm trying to exploit the bots, I'm like, if I'm supposed to be drafting this White Adventures deck, I'll see one of these on the wheel. I might see both. And that's sort of how I feel about Secret Keeper as well is like, Yeah, I know that there was one I just passed. There's one right here. But if this is the deck, what I feel is if this is the deck I'm supposed to be drafting, I should see them pick 11 and pick 12. Now, maybe that's hedging too hard, but I think that's what you're supposed to be doing with this deck. And so I landed on Mad Ratter, but I wasn't happy about it. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So the next pick, I took a Sorcerer's Broom, which felt great because I had the Witch's Oven already, and that felt like it could go in a number of different decks, that little combo. And then pick six, I saw another Secret Keeper, so I grabbed that as like, all right, this is when I feel like I want to take it, and then I'm going to assume that the other two wheel. And, you know, Oven Broom is a totally fine combo to have in the mill deck, I think, so I'd be happy with that there, and then figure out the rest. Oven Secret Keeper is also so depressing to play against, because they're milling you and they get two food, so it's so hard to push through the damage to kill them before they mill you out. Yeah. And then I got some late adventures with a Fairy Guide Mother, a Silver Flame Squire, and then, surprise, surprise, Ben, this is the first time I'd seen it, the Merfolk Secret Keepers did not wheel. Whoa. I mean, and that does happen sometimes. That's why you shouldn't force this deck. Right, exactly. So I ended up drafting a white green adventure deck. I ended up picking up an Edgewell Keeper and a Lucky Clover and just getting a pretty decent version of that deck with, you know, as we we saw already, I got like a late Guide Mother and Silver Flame Squire, and that just continues to happen throughout the draft. All right, very cool. You ready to take a seat at one of mine? Yes, please. All right, so pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. If we're looking at top commons, Merfolk Secret Keeper is here, as well as Ardenvale Tactician. And then moving into the uncommons and rare in consideration, we've got Beanstalk Giant, six and a green for the star star power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control and the adventure two and a green sorcery searcher library for basic land and put it onto the battlefield. And we've got the same rare. We've got another return of the wild speaker four and a green for that instant draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-human creatures you control or you get non-human creatures get plus three plus three until eot uh yeah this is close for me between beanstalk giant and tactician i think i'm actually on beanstalk giant but i wouldn't fault you for taking either of those right that's what i was between as well and i decided that white aggro was good enough on arena that i wanted to do it here 
the Beanstalk Giant was more of a late game value card, and I was a little worried about Beanstalk Giant against the mill decks. I, I just thought Tactician had higher upside. My thought here with taking Beanstalk Giant would be to take that and try and wheel Secret Keeper. But you can definitely just be like, I'll take Tactician and I'll wheel Youthful Knight or Prized Griffin here. And that's also a good route. Right. Moving on to pack one, pick two. If we're looking at top commons, you see Flutterfox as the only top common. That's the one in a white 2-2. As long as you control an artifact or an enchantment, Flutterfox has flying. And then in the uncommons, Heraldic Banner, three mana for the artifact. When ETBs choose a color, creatures of the chosen color, you get plus one, plus O, and it can tap to add one mana of the chosen color. And then Archon of Absolution. This card is deceptively powerful. (laughs) Yeah, I missed out on how good this card was in our set review, but I definitely calibrated appropriately after playing with it. So this is three and a white for the three, two flyer and creatures can only attack you unless their controller pays one for each attacking creature and it has protection from white. Pro tip, everybody, you cannot target this with on alert, the adventure half of Silver Flame Squire. I learned that the hard way. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, This card is really, really strong. I have it at B plus. I would take it over, I think, all the commons. I think I would take this over Bacon to a Pie um, and feels great that it matches up with your Ardenville Tactician. Yep. Moving on to pack one, pick three, you see the following cards as options. If we're looking at top commons, there's a So Tiny and a Merfolk Secret Keeper in blue. Merchant of the Veil in red. It's two in red for the two, three. Haggle is the adventure. Single red, instant. You can discard a card, draw a card. And then the two, three body has the activated ability. Two and a red, discard a card, draw a card. And then if we look at the uncommons, there's Red Cat Melee here, which is just a busted removal spell. Single red for the instant. Deals four damage to a creature or planeswalker. And if it targeted a permanent that was not red, you have to sacrifice a land. So on MTGO... This is a windmill slam red cat melee. I think you and I both have that as a B plus as well. Um, it's super hyper efficient removal. It doesn't usually matter that you have to sacrifice a land to target a non-red thing. And if you target a red thing, you just feel like you're winning. On arena, I think I would still take red cat melee, but I'd be pretty sad about it. Again, just because I have not drafted a base red deck yet, and I don't think I'm going to end up doing so again, because I just don't think it feels exploitable with getting commons late. So I think I would still take it just as a hedge and maybe I end up like super heavy white splashing red for a a handful of removal spells or something. I think I would take that here. Yeah, it was close between Red Cat Melee and Secret Keeper and I thought about it for a long while. And ultimately I decided I thought that if I got into the mill deck, I think it's the most powerful deck on Arena. Yes. And so I wanted to try to steer towards it. And I was just going to be willing to move off the Secret Keeper if the pieces weren't there. And so I took Secret Keeper over Red Cat Melee, but I agree it's Melee 100% on MTGO and probably even on Arena as well. I was maybe a little greedy with this pick. So here's another question for you. There's a So Tiny in the pack. Do you feel like So Tiny goes later than Secret Keepers? Is there any consideration to go, I'll take the So Tiny as the hedge to the mill deck and assume that I wheel Secret Keeper? I don't think So Tiny goes later than Secret Keepers. I think So Tiny goes extraordinarily late as well. And the opportunity cost is really high there, right? Like if you miss out on the Secret Keeper and you end up in the Secret Keeper deck, it just feels real bad. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay. Moving on to pack one, pick four. The only top common here is So Tiny and Curious Pair, although Curious Pair doesn't even really feel like a top common. No. It, it has zero, zero pull into green. It's out muscle, Fierce Witch Stalker, and then I think the rest. And then you like figure out what cards are going to line up best with your archetype or draft route so far. 
And then in the uncommons, we've got some serious action. There's a Lucky Clover as well as Glass Casket, one and a white for the artifact. Whenever it enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with converted mana cost three or less until Glass Casket leaves the battlefield. What a lucky boy you are that you get Lucky Clover here after taking Merfolk Secret Keeper. Yeah, and this is great. It's going to go well potentially in my white deck, going to go well potentially if I hit mill. And Glass Casket would be a great pick here, right? But Lucky Clover is just too powerful to pass up. I got to say, playing on Arena this week really showed me the power of Lucky Clover because of how consistently you can get the cards to turn it on. Like getting a Lucky Clover on Magic Online, you don't know if you're going to see adventures because a lot of people, and this was another thing they brought up on Pro Points this week, was that a lot of people are going to be drafting the adventures highly because they're all just good cards anyway. Like you don't need adventure payoffs to want to play a Garenbrig Carver or whatever. Like you just are going to play these cards because they're essential two for ones. But Lucky Clover just really pushes a lot of these over the top. And as I said before, I think it's one of the best pieces for the mill deck. Absolutely. Next pack is pretty weak. I took a Reaper of Night out of a largely empty pack. That's the five black black for the four five and has the Mind Rot for three and a black that you can make your opponent discard four with with Lucky Clover. So I was happy to pick that up after a Lucky Clover there. And then moving on to pack one, pick six, see the following cards as option. (laughs) There's a Lonesome Unicorn that would go well with my Lucky Clover, a Fairy Guide Mother that goes well with my Lucky Clover. Didn't say please to go along with my Merfolk Secret Keeper. And then in the uncommon slot, still here, pick six, Revenge of Ravens, three and a black for the enchantment. Whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. So here's a thing I will say about Revenge of Ravens, um, which is that I think it is slightly worse on Arena because, you know, if we take my small sample size, but if you think that mill is going to be about 20% of what you play against, it's not great to have a card that is like dead against 20% of decks because like the mill deck doesn't care about you playing revenge of ravens so i think it's slightly worse on arena but it's still a good card i would still keep it in like every black deck and i still think seeing it pick six is ridiculous it's ridiculous and this is after the thursday update if anybody's wondering out there so fun so i slammed revenge of ravens here but i do think you can make a case for fairy guide mother yeah i think that's fair and then moving on to pack one pick seven picked up a so tiny out of an empty pack Pack one, pick eight, picked up a wishing well out of an empty pack. And then I wheeled pack one, pick nine, Merfolk Secret Keeper. And this was actually a really tough draft. So I snagged this Merfolk Secret Keeper on the wheel here. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be blue, black, lucky clover, mill, you know, make you discard all the cards. It's going to be awesome. And you also got that so tiny out of the pack where you took the first Secret Keeper. Yes, absolutely. And then I had a really tough choice, pack two, pick three between a Reaper of Night or an Ardenvale Tactician, after I already in my mind was blue-black. And I think this is just where you're supposed to still keep drafting the hard way some on Arena, because I actually had outs to still be white-black as well. But I was just so in love with the Lucky Clover, Merfolk, Secret Keeper, got the late so tiny. And on MTGO, if you get a so tiny that late, you're thinking, man, this deck's open. But that doesn't really mean anything from the bot. So I actually blew a pick really hard here, pack two, pick three, by taking Reaper of Night over Tactician. And then I ultimately ended up navigating my way back to white black and my deck really, really, really would have used that second Arden Mail Tactician. Yeah, I think that's fair. The the only thing that I will say in your defense here is that like Tactician, while it's busted, is probably like it's worse than Guide Mother or even Lonesome Unicorn with Lucky Clover. You don't often care about tapping three or four things with Dizzying Swoop the way you care about like giving another thing plus two plus one and flying or making another two two night. 
for example. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's pretty sweet. He's still bobbed and weaves that. I'm surprised that the double secret keeper, so tiny life after pack one got uh, diverted. Yep. I just kept seeing white and black. Yeah, that's what happened. So yeah, I think these drafts are good examples of like considering what the bots are going to do or what you predict they're going to do in terms of underrating certain cards or archetypes. But then also we really still are doing an element of drafting the hard way of, of really trying to read signals. I think more so than I've done with formats on arena in the past. Definitely for me, this is the most open. I felt like I've been trying to be on arena. I feel like it's within the confines of these five decks, but I do feel like I'm drafting for real within the confines of these, these certain decks here. Mm -hmm. And it does feel fun to be able to do the things where you go, I get to take this card out of this pack and predict that a card is going to wheel much like it does on Magic Online or in any normal draft, but there's a a consistency or a reliability of what those cards might be. And that is a fun thing to get to do in the draft. When you get to get two good picks out of a pack, you feel like you've you've done something. The one other thing that I will say for Arena is that it's not just these decks necessarily, right? Like I opened up Fires of Invention last night on Arena and on MTGO, I would have taken that as well, but I'd have been trying to feel out you know, if I if I was supposed to draft the Fires of Invention deck on MTGO. On Arena, I was just like, all right, <laughs> we're doing it. I first picked Fires of Invention. And I feel like you can still, to a certain extent, say, I'm going to draft this deck. And that was what I did, and I got the nuts. But, you know, I think you can go into an Arena draft still, if you want to, with the mindset of, I'm going to draft this deck, and you'll probably get at least a mediocre version of that deck. Right. And again, we said this earlier, but keep this in mind between me and Ben, we've got about what 40 drafts and that's a pretty small sample size. So our experience will not necessarily line up with all of your experiences. If, if you've had the drafts where red feels exploitable, if you've gotten into red green monsters a lot of time or blue green tempo more often than not, like, you know, that's still valuable information. And if you've had experiences that lend you towards saying, hey, I think I would swap out a deck or two from your list of the, the five decks, or I would add a couple, you know, keep those in your rotation, let your experiences dictate what you're, you're going to do in the future. Um, but this is just what we've been seeing as consistently available. Right. And share that with us on Twitter, or if you're in the Discord, shoot a message at us in Discord. Yeah, for sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.